All right, hello and welcome to the Been Talking with Peak Performers podcast. On this podcast, we talk to peak performers in their field so you can then go perform at your best. Just before we start this show, I want to talk to you guys about a new initiative that I've started and that is producing podcasts for businesses and people that want their own show so they can then produce amazing content as well. But now let's get into the guest for today and that is Jim Penman, the owner of Jim's Group. Jim's mowing, Jim's cleaning, Jim's dog wash, Jim's almost everything. Jim started his full-time mowing business in 1982 with just a $24 investment. By 1989, he then franchised his business and since then, Jim's Mowing has become the largest franchise chain in Australia and the largest and best known lawn mowing business in the world. Jim's Cleaning was then launched in 1994, followed by 50 other divisions. So Jim's now operates in Australia, New Zealand, Canada and the United Kingdom. It was amazing having Jim on. He's got a wealth of knowledge when it comes to franchising, but we also touched on some of his science projects too. So I'm really excited for you guys to listen to them and let's go. Jim, how are you? Thank you so much for coming on. This is um, a real highlight for me. I I grew up in Melbourne, um, watching Jim's trucks all around my neighbourhood. Um, all your life, yeah. from the age you look, you probably remember us from the beginning. Yeah, yeah, twenty six. Um, so yeah, you, I guess the biggest name in Australia in terms of franchising. Uh, you love your economics. Uh, done a few PhDs. Though that's my sum up of you, but for the 1% of people listening along here that don't know you, um, yeah, tell us a bit about yourself. Well, um, I did never intended to go into business, least of all in this area. I intended to be an academic. I went to university back in 1971, intending to figure out questions like why civilizations rise and fall, the real big questions, which I've been fascinated by since I was a teenager. Mm. You know, what happened to ancient Rome? Could it happen to us? Um, started to develop extremely radical ideas, developed them through a PhD, and um, eventually came to the conclusion that I had absolutely no prospect of any kind of academic career because I was so wildly unorthodox. I was basically taking every explanation anybody ever gives and saying, no, you're wrong. Why did the First World War took place? Well, it was to do with what I call a lemming cycle, which is the same reason as lemmings migrate. The other things were just pimply pros and buttle. So naturally, who wants to employ somebody as a historian who's got those kinds of ideas? Mm. So basically, I ended up flat broke, deeply in debt, and I decided to turn my part-time mowing business, which I did as a student, into a full-time business, yeah. just until something better came along. Right. So it was almost your, your backup plan rather than, rather than the primary. But it wasn't even a plan, really. It didn't even occur to me that I, I didn't have a future that way. I was a bit naive. Yeah, right. But um, yeah, I used to like mowing lawns. It was kind of like, it was pretty good money. Um, was exercise, it was outdoors, and I love the outdoors, still do. So a lot, of, a lot of worse ways to make a living. Yeah, definitely. So it was literally, I think, what, $24 invested into the business and, yes. then, and then you – how did it – how did you – did you do sales in terms of were you knocking on doors Were you, or was demand just that high for service? Basically leaflet drops in those days. Yeah. They okay. don't, don't work at all now. I just put leaflets around. So the $24 was actually – $4 for Letraset, which is an old system you used to have in, um, you could buy in um, stationery stores, and that did some instant printing, and $20 for instant printing, and that made the leaflets. I actually had a very cracked out mower, brush cutter, and trailer from my student days. So, in a sense, there was more than that. But I just delivered leaflets, and the phone started to ring, and then later on, I started putting ads in newspapers and stuff, and uh, 
I just found that, you know, there was a lot of demand for my service. Even though I started off in 82, which was the drought year, and there was no lawns to mow, um, I just found I always had a passion for customer service. Mm. I knew nothing about business. Um, I made terrible mistakes, but I really hated doing anything less than a great job. Yeah. So that almost obsession to cut that lawn that little bit extra or go round the tree or... Particularly in terms of edges when you're mowing lawns and also cleaning up cracks in the pathways and just everything completely clean and mowing straight lawns. And then when you dig a garden bed over, you dig it so that every blade of grass is a weed has disappeared so it's completely perfect. And then turning up when you say you will and never letting customers down, those kind of things, just very obsessional. Not, I didn't do it for the sake of running about a business. I did it because it really offended me to do anything less mm. than a perfect job. Yeah, that real attention to detail. And I like to kind of call it micro-marketing in a sense. It's those small things that actually add up to the big difference of, yeah, I'll hire that person again. I'll, I'll get them to come on and do my lawns every, every Sunday. To, to me, customer service is the key to everything. I actually spend very little time on marketing. I have people who get into that. But what I do is I spend my time talking to franchisees and clients. Any client in gyms, even today, who has an issue with customer service, if they ring the second time, it hasn't been dealt with the first time, they refer it to me. I follow up on all the bad surveys and I, and I contact people and say, what are we doing about this? And I, I just get very, very heavily involved in pushing better and better service and better and better systems and better and better IT, always pushing for better service. And if we've done that, and as the service has improved and the complaints have dropped off, the, the leads just keep on going up. It's quite... I mean, you'd expect it, but even so, it's remarkable. Like, like latest figures is 28% of our leads are unserviced and it's getting higher all the time. 28%. We're not close, getting close to one in three leads we can't handle. Wow. And, and how does that conversation go? Because as someone who's a perfectionist and you want to help as many people as possible, um, it, it must hurt to knock back those leads. It does. But it, it's better than having somebody book the service and then get bad service. Yep. It's kind of like, I don't know how you'd regard it, it's almost like an exclusive nightclub, mm. you know. You know, people want to queue up to get into the nightclub and the fact that they turn people away doesn't detract from it, does it? Now, we don't want to do that. We'd like to service everybody, of course. Of course. But I'd much rather give fantastic service for those who do manage to get service done and let other people go elsewhere. Yeah. And, and then that, you know, keeps your brand at the top, essentially. Well, at least if they get through to us, they normally, they normally get great service. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not every case, of course, and I know very well because I go through all these every day. But yeah. And something that I also notice is when a franchisee goes through the training process, you make a, a conceited effort to meet every single one of them, even passing your phone around and getting them to take selfies. Um, you mentioned on one of your shows. Um, what, what, what's behind that? What's the... I, I want to make sure that every one of my franchisees um, feels able to contact me. I give them my direct phone number and direct email address um, during training and I try to meet up with as many as possible one-on-one -on -one and so that they, they sort of met me and they have an issue. Because sometimes it's – a lot of the time when franchises approach me, it's not really – there's nothing gone wrong. They just have to explain to them why the system as it is. But sometimes it's something seriously gone wrong. Like just recently there was a case where a French – prospective franchisee rang me up to say his contract had been held up for three weeks and, um, you know, he was running out of income. And he said, look, I didn't, I didn't want to trouble you for four, but I know how busy you are. So I, I took my phone, I walked over to documents there and said, what's the problem with this guy? 
okay, that's it, starting tomorrow. And then I said to the guy, your biggest mistake was you didn't ring me two and a half weeks ago. Mm. And that's the problem. People can fail in business. And, and, and the most heart-rending conversations I ever have is a franchisee who's failed. And I hate that. But sometimes it happens. It's, they failed because of something that I could have helped with. They'd rung me months ago and just asked me, what can I do? My franchisor's not paying pay for work guarantee or whatever the reason. Yeah. And it's so important. And sometimes people approach me and they've got problems and I get their money back for them. I say, the franchisor, you've done the wrong thing, get the money back. And they have to. So, so we have virtually no litigation within gyms because if the franchisee's got a genuine problem, we will fix it. Yeah. It's amazing. And do you think a lot of this stems back on your um, hard belief in the importance of relationships? I've, I think I've heard you say um, the mark of a successful man is is to the level of his relationships. And do you think that's a big part of, of what drives all of those decisions? Mm, I don't think you're quoting me. I, I, uh, always, I always speak in terms of service. Like if you look at my yeah. email, you, you see this is, this is how I run my business. Yep. Our first priority is the welfare of our franchisees. We are also passionate about customer service. We sign only franchisees and franchisors we are convinced will succeed. Yeah, right. That's that's what it's all about. It's it's a very simple. And like people buy our mission statements, we're going to be the number one in. It doesn't mean anything. Mm. If you say our first priority is the welfare of franchisees, everybody thing you do goes through that prism. Yeah. What is in the franchisee's interest? Now, sometimes franchisees don't agree with me. Because they say you're being really harsh on me for customer service and, you know, I'm suffering, you know, depression and stuff and you should be more lenient or you should let me pay my fees. Or, but I think what's, what's, the, what's in the best interest of franchisees as a group? And if I let customer service go in this particular situation, mm -hmm. then other franchises will suffer. And there are thousands of families that depend on what we do for them. So you, 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 you've got to have the overall view of franchisees as a group. Mm. And on the whole, we're very good at what we do, but we can still get better. Yeah. That fact, actually, it's interesting you said families rely on, on the franchises, and, and they do they, as, as the sole, maybe the sole breadwinner. Um, do, does that give you a, a big sense of purpose and passion and, yes, and drive? Yes, yeah. of course. Because, because my franchisees, if you look at, you know, people – People often say you must be so proud of having so many franchisees. I never think that way. What I think is what really is the best motivation for me is a franchisee who tells me they're doing really well and it's been a life changer for them. I have a thing where I ring up our people who reach significant milestones, 10, 15, 20, 25 years, and just call them and thank them and congratulate them and stuff. And that's a great conversation for the most part because they'll tell you why it's been so good for them. At the same time, the most painful thing is when somebody fails. Yeah. It's, it, you, can, you can never get used to that. And I, I, know, I know we'll never have 100% success, but I'll never be satisfied until we do. Um, that's interesting. So that you've got both ends of the spectrum there, someone failing, but then someone 25 years. Do you have a, a conversation that stands out, I guess, in your mind? I guess it would be very hard of all of the, all the people that are hit 25 years, but, but is there one that... Well, 25 years is, is, is our... our, is, is our longest serving franchisees are about that age. But you know, I had a conversation with somebody, I think he was a 10 year veteran just recently. And uh, he was, uh, he, he's charging like $200 an hour. He's got a couple of offsiders. He's in Queensland. He's don't like working in the heat. Mm. So he knocks off at 12 o'clock every day and he only works Monday to Thursday. 
and he makes a great living. So, <laughs> I mean, isn't that beautiful? Good job. He, he's Good not. Job. He's not. Perhaps as ambitious as I am, because mm. he could make a lot more if he was going to work, you know, fifty hours a week. But the important thing, he got what he wanted, and then he was telling me about the fact that he spends time with his kids, which is a big factor. Big. So, that that's that's great. That's a, that's a great sort of stuff. And I have many conversations of that kind of nature. You know, you've got a young bloke who's like, you know, he's younger than you and he's making $500,000 a year. Well, I'm, um, in the long, I'm in the wrong line of work. <laughs> well, so far. So far, yeah. No. But it's, it's quite astonishing. I don't know if you've ever read a book called The Millionaire Next Door. Uh, no, no, I haven't. It's, it's well worth reading, actually. And what it, what it actually explains, people's idea of rich people, this is American, but it's very typical of Australia too, they think rich people are sort of tech gurus and that kind of people and, and you know, corporate accountants and tax lawyers and that kind of people. And, and they're certainly someone that have a lot of money. But in actual fact, most American millionaires are people like me, um, perhaps a bit less well known, but people who run successful service businesses, mm. partly because they make good money, but also because they don't tend to spend as much. Like if you're a, a you know, if you're a high level lawyer, you have to go and eat it posh restaurants and drink expensive wines and drive a plash car people don't take you seriously when you're a lawnmower contractor who knows yeah and you can you can very little startup costs um quite easy because well especially in australia we're a service-based economy um for lack of a better word but um and then in terms of getting clients if you're doing a service that's valuable and saves people time and money and you're going to have work so yes it's, it's an easy place to start. It doesn't require years of education. It just requires character. And, and character is overwhelmingly where it is. You don't, you don't even need to be fantastically knowledgeable about your area. The more knowledge you have helps. Like if you're doing mowing, it helps to be, you know, things like having a Hort degree certainly doesn't, doesn't hurt you, a Hort qualification. But um, it's mainly about character. It's mainly about just caring enough about doing the job well that you don't let clients down and then just figuring out a way to do it quicker, more successfully, do a better job faster and constantly improving what you do, cutting down traveling, better machinery, better equipment, just thousands of different decisions. People often look about success as being, hey, you're suddenly mowing, you're going along mowing lawns and then suddenly you have an idea, you know, or why don't I franchise and suddenly you're a you're a multi-millionaire. It's not like that at all. It's actually, it's actually thousands and thousands of little decisions. There is not a day go by in the business that I don't ask myself the question, how can we do this better? How can we improve? Every time there's a complaint coming, every time in a franchise is unhappy, every time advertising is not working, everything, everything, all the time, how can I do? And never be satisfied. Mm. The, oh, yeah, that, sorry, that's actually quite stunned me really just because it's, it's true. Um, continual improvement. How can I not be? Look at the what I want to do in ten years. It's more. What can I do today? What, what can I do that that'll be make me better tomorrow? I often I often tell my in during training I talk about this story. I talk about it's about the importance of coming to meetings about a franchisor who knew that certain franchisees in his region were not upselling effectively. And upselling is a very key in our kind of industry. So he was going in, he was, I think he was a mowing guy, he was mowing the lawns, but he wasn't asking for the gutter clearing and the rubbish and the gardening and so forth. And it was costing the money. Not only the fact that they couldn't, they wouldn't have as much work, but because there wasn't as, it wasn't as highly paid because the hourly rate on extras is better. So it's a very important skill that we try and teach them. And he knew these guys weren't, weren't going to, weren't, hadn't learned this. So he said, I'm going to run a special meeting 
about upselling. And because he didn't want to talk all the time himself, he said, I've got three guys in my region who are fantastic at upselling. Now, I forget their names. Let's call them Tom, Dick, and Harry. All right. So he had no reason. They're all great. He said, I'll pick Tom. No, no reason. And so Tom got up that evening and gave a great talk on upselling, all the, how you, what kind of jobs you can do, how you approach the client, why it's so valuable, the whole doc. So it's fantastic, inspiring talk. And while he was talking, the franchisor looked around the room looking for the guys who were doing badly. They weren't there. But what was really striking is sitting in the front row, leaning forward, listening to every word were Dick and Harry, the two guys who could have given the talk just as well. So what's the difference between them? You have people who not doing very well, but they don't see the need to do better. And you have people who are doing much, much better, who are always looking to improve. And that is the key to success in anything. Every day when you're doing your job, what mistake could I make? How could I improve that interview? How could I improve the setup of what I've been yeah. doing? <laughs> it took you a while to get it. I'm Thank not you. saying it really mattered. No. <coughs> I am aware. In this case. I am aware, yeah. But you, you're always learning. And that's that sense of, I think to me, a business success has a lot to do with, with biblical virtues, particularly ones Jesus talked about. And I say that as a Christian, but also in a, in a business sense, the, the willingness to be humble, to say you've made a mistake, to say you can prove. And I'll do that all the time. If you read my book, for example, I don't know if, you, if you've seen this. I've downloaded it. And yes, have, to have the a look at that. What you'll see through that is a whole series of mistakes. Where can people get this? Just, just quickly. I just, just read www.gyms.net. And you go into, I think it's Meet Jim, and you can download it for free. I'll put the link in there. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, but you'll see all those cases where I talk about the things. So that's that's an element of humility. And the other element, too, that we talk about is the element of service, which is also a very Christian way of looking at things. It's Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Well, in a sense, not that I'm Jesus, of course, but when I look after my franchisees, I'm serving them. And I always say to them, who's the most important person in the room? It's not me, it's you, mm. because I'm here to make you successful. You don't work for me, I work for you. And that's reversing the normal way we think about franchising. And a lot of things we do, like, for example, we give our franchisees and franchisors veto rights over changes to the manual. Mm. We, just, we just put a series of referendums to them. There was three proposals um, of which two were passed and one was knocked back. Yep. They just said, we don't want this in the manual. So They're going to veto. They've got a veto. Oh, so collaboration more than – I've worked in businesses that have franchised um, and it just does not work because they have this mentality of you buy a franchise and then we're just going to point at you and tell you what to do. Mm. Um, you see it. I mean, I know a Current Affair had a, not the best watching, but the Current Affair had um, a big expose on retail food group. I don't want to point names, but I was just shocked um, by, you know, um, they were forcing them to buy high margin products. They were, and, and there was, it seemed like there was a lack of that collaboration. Well, so. you look at the, all the problems with RFG and, and the things they do will be completely impossible in our system. For example, we do not permit third line enforcing. If a franchisor was to found to do something like that, he would, could be breached and terminated. Wow. You cannot download. We, the only thing we make them do is we need to buy public risk insurance through Jim's insurance because practically speaking, that's the only way we know we can mm. know that they're insured. But no other form of insurance, no other product, nothing they have to buy from us. So it's changes to the manual. We can't change the manual without their permission. It's forbidden. As far as I know, we're the only franchise system in the world 
We actually allow our franchisees the rights. To, we can allow them to vote out their franchisor by majority vote. It's the only system in the world that does this. So the whole system is designed to empower franchisees. Mm. So what, what they did would be impossible. Even if I was to drop dead tomorrow and gyms was sold, anybody tried to buy it and tried to do what RFG had be done would get themselves into so much strife because mm. the, the contracts themselves are so, are so developed in such a way that they protect franchises even if I wanted to do the right thing, I couldn't. Yeah. So someone listening along now going, wow, you know, I'm, I'm impressed by gyms. I'm, I'm, I really want to get involved in a gym. So I've been thinking about it for, for a while now. Um, what would be the process and what would be your advice um, on, on the back end? Because there's so many things people can do in the gyms network. I, I, there's ones that I found through the, uh, my research on this that I didn't know existed because mm. um, there's that many. So, so yeah, what would be the process and, and how would someone well, decide? First of all, you need to check out the website and find out what you're interested in. There are 50-odd divisions. I think there's probably only about a dozen or 15 that are really seriously working very well. It, you, there's new divisions that we're trialling out like batteries and mobile tyres, which is, you know, going to be cautious. Whereas something like fencing or mowing or cleaning a pest control test and tag, very well established dog wash, uh, and doing extremely well. Um, basically, the thing to do is to, is to contact us and then um, ask for some information or get contacted by a franchisor. And uh, one of the things that they will get at that stage then is a list of all current franchisees with their direct contact numbers. And what they should do then is to ring as many as possible of those and ask what it's like. Because the thing about gyms is this, we're a very diverse organisation. We've got nearly 300 franchisors across different divisions. Some are absolutely brilliant. Most are pretty good. And there's a few that I wouldn't buy a franchise from, to be quite blunt about it, because we, and, and those are the ones we're dealing with and we're putting pressure on and so forth. So you ask other people. Well, the amazing thing to me is that people don't do the most basic homework. They buy into, into appalling systems where they won't actually give them the information. If, the, if you don't get that information, which is in the, it's in the law that they have to give it to you, you have to steer right away from it. Or who don't do proper research. Mm. That's the biggest thing, research what you're doing. Listen, a couple of hours on the phone mm. can save you from blowing an awful lot of money. Yeah, because you could see someone um, invest in, in a well-known brand, but then because they think, okay, the marketing's going to be done for me, all that's going to be done for me, and it's almost like I just turn on the tap, hire some people, and, and off I go. But in reality, owning a business is not like that. It's, no. It's hard work. It's uh, Not everybody can succeed too. Look, we do relatively well. Just, just you look at normal statistics on failures of business in their first year, businesses like cleaning and mowing. Um, typically, it's about a 90 to 95% failure rate. I get this off. If you look at the, the Cleaning and Janitorial Association of America, there's a to do with cleaning there. That's, that's the figure they'll give you 95% fail in their first year. Mm. Our latest figure is 11%. 11%? Yeah, but 11% isn't nothing. It isn't nothing, but it's still a it's, stark difference. It's a significantly better arrangement. And it's because of things like the fact that there's usually plenty of work. Mm. If there's not, they can go and do freebies and get paid for them, which mm. is what we call pay for work guarantee. And then you've got coaching. You've got a franchisor who's ringing you, somebody who can answer your queries. You've got um, meetings, which are very important, being able to meet with other franchisees regularly. Um, so there's a whole series behind it. But even with all that, people still fail. Mm. So I guess the thing always to be concerned about, is it right for you? And not everybody can be self-employed. Correct. You really do need to get people from sort of 
I suppose at least average business ability. Somebody, some people are, 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 can be great workers, but they could never run their own business. Mm. Yeah, they're more of the technician, the the worker, the having yeah. that self awareness around. Okay, well, can you also do the back end stuff like the accounts, the books, the, you know? Yeah, yeah, things. we can help, but or we, at least out. We can't do everything. No. One of the things we're working on now, we've got some, um, we've got a psychologist to drop some questions, which we think might be relevant to success and we're giving them to our trainees and then we're going to actually assess how will the trainees do mm. so down the track a bit we hope to be able to actually provide a diagnostic tool that we can give to prospective franchisees to to check whether they're likely to succeed or not mm. and then and then try and rule out the ones who are likely to fail yeah i think one of the key aspects of success too is is picking something that you actually love doing like you you mentioned that dog wash franchisees uh, um, attract dog lovers and mm. and lawn no the lawn mowing franchises or people that love being outdoors and exactly right so but don't pick lawn mowing because you think it's going to be the most successful or the most financially it's coming back to what do you actually love doing yes exactly right people often ask what business makes the most money and i say it's the wrong question what do you enjoy doing what you love doing you'll probably make more money out but it's also it's your whole life for heaven's sake yeah you can't do something like for example i would never be a cleaner i could not stand cleaning or inside but mowing lawns i would i think is great business i wouldn't mind trees i think tree lopping is fantastic it's very challenging and exciting it's very very macho it's kind of good <laughs> get the beard going again yeah yeah Building fences, I could see myself doing that because it's it's physical and, and outside. And I still like being physical. I work mm. on my farm every week and just, you know, I love just clearing weeds for a few hours a day. It's just fun. Yeah. Well, that fun. And it's funny because I joked before that, you know, the, the guy earning 500000 I'm in the wrong business, but I don't think I am. This is something um, that I love doing and, and I'm passionate about it. And hopefully it comes across to people listening along. Well, you've done pretty well. You're still yeah. young. <laughs> That's At it. your age, I was going nowhere. I was a I was a penniless PhD student. So mm. there you are. Yeah, yeah. We all have our own story. Um, I'd love to talk. You've got a, a big passion for sciences and research, and um, you've now got to a position where you're able to fund some really amazing, amazing um, projects. Um, can, can you touch on yeah, a little bit of of that work and what's what's going on on there? What what I've Coming to the conclusion is that so much of everything depends on character, um, which fits into business ideas too. Who succeeds? Much more to do with character than anything else, but certainly it applies to civilizations. The reason that, that we have economic growth and wealth is because the people in the society have the attitudes that create it. Their business, like entrepreneurial, hardworking, honest, those kinds of characteristics. So what I've, what I've, I started with that from my PhD, looking at rise and fall of civilizations and all kinds of cycles and things, and looking at, and then, and then using this idea about character to understand what's going on, and then what I've, now what I've done partly then, but much more since then, is look at the biology behind it. And a lot of it comes down to epigenetics. There's, there's influences in the environment that, um, that cause changes in the way that genes function, that cause people to be more successful. Um, and these are driven by things like, for example, uh, chastity, restraining sexual activity and those kinds of activities. And that creates civilization. And then when we become wealthy and urbanized, that whole system, which, which I call C, breaks down. Now, what we're learning to do with, with, with rats in particular is to restore that, 
to keep it strong even when there's plentiful food. And one of the things we've found is that pheromones seem to be the key. So we've found, for example, that when you put um, rats that have been um, short of food, relatively just a little bit short of food, like 25% below what they like to eat, and they get the urine, which, by the way, they smell very different. It's quite noticeable. If you go into the room, you'll see them smelling different. But you take the, their, their bedding and you give it to other rats, the other rats tend to behave as if they're short of food. And that has very beneficial effect. Like, for example, they become more hardworking, exploratory in, in rat terms. They become much better mothers. They look after their, their offspring better. There's a whole sort of positive changes. And that kind of change in character is also associated with a lower level of mental illness, including things like depression, anxiety, schizophrenia. So what we're doing, what we've done is analysed what's in the urine and we've come up with some candidate pheromones, which we're about to trial out to see if we can work out what, what's in the urine that's having these effects. So we try them on rats, and if that's effective, then we try them on people. Mm. So it's quite a simple process. We're also looking at ways of directly um, changing the epigenetic settings themselves. For example, there's these things called microRNAs, which we're starting to look at, which are like the messengers that tell the, the genes whether to switch on or off. Um, that's a very promising line of inquiry. Um, we've got a research project starting on that. We had a look at CRISPR, whether you could, you know, CRISPR is the thing they use for gene editing. No, I didn't. <laughs> Apologies. <laughs> yeah. Okay. CRISPR is a, it's a new technique. It's really exciting, but that's where you can actually go in and you can, you can go in and there's a faulty gene, for example, you can go in and this thing, it's like a, it's like a guided missile. It, it goes in there, hits the right spot, changes the particular gene for a, a, for a good one. And then, and then, and then that's now fixed. Now, if you can go that do it in the cells, you can fix all kinds of genetic diseases and stuff. Yeah. So it's a fantastic technology. But we've been looking at if we can apply that to epigenetic changes. But apparently it's, it's a lot more difficult. That's why we're using, looking at things like pheromones and micro um, RNA. Yeah, but is the idea of, of that technique, it's much more specific and targeted and, and faster to make the change? Or yeah. that's, that's the idea. CRISPR has a lot of problems because it, it's, it's not... Um, it can have different effects. You can you can think you're hitting there, but you're also hitting there and there and there. Mm. So you've got to be incredibly careful what you do with these kinds of technologies. But it's it's developing. CRISPR is only a few years old. Right. It's an incredibly exciting. I think I think the biggest changes in the world will come about not because of IT technology as such, but because of the of biology, the the potential to to change genes, to change the epigenetics of of people, the change change character is is vastly greater. One of the things that always fascinated me when I was young was ancient Athens. You have, you have this city, relatively small city, a few tens of thousands of free men in a very short period of time, late 4th, uh, late 5th, early 4th century, that gave rise to this incredible genius, flowering of genius, like nothing ever seen in world history, like in, in philosophy, the whole foundations of Western philosophy, Socrates and Plato, of history, people like um, Herodotus and, and um, Thucydides, of course, and, and then you have advances in, in architecture and in art and, and, and in, in theatre, the foundation of, of modern, modern theatre and, and literature is almost in that period. It's an amazing surge of creativity. What on earth went on? Yeah, what happened? It wasn't genetic because the people 100 years earlier, they were nothing like that. And, and 100 years later, they'd lost it all. But there was something about it which I think I partly understand that caused them to become incredibly capable and original in their thinking. Now, imagine if – because I don't think – I think intelligence is vastly overrated. Imagine if 
the average engineer was equivalent in, in ability to the top 1,000s of engineers. That's the average. What could you achieve? We could be, we could be setting up settlements on Mars in no time. Yeah. We could be solving the world's energy shortages. I mean, human brilliance, human creativity, the ability to concentrate, to have new ideas is the one resource we don't desperately need. Yeah, well, even concentrating humans' creativity, like one thing coming out of China at the moment with the, with the virus is they're building a 1,000-bed hospital in 10 days. Mm. And, and that's just purely out of necessity. But, but you take that as an as a outlier and look at it, well, that's human potential to build a 1,000-bed hospital in 10 so, days. Yes, the Chinese have problems not being a democracy. They, well. can, they don't have planning <laughs> permits. But look, a good example, I don't know if you've read um, the Ashley Vance's um, biography of Elon Musk. Uh, is that the one with Elon's face, black cover? I, I, I don't ask me to color no. it. It did, it did have his picture on the cover, but it's, it's, a, wonderful, no. it's a wonderful biography, actually. Okay. Not a hagiography by any means. They certainly look at his shortcomings, but the kind of things he's achieved with SpaceX in particular, just getting incredibly brilliant engineers focused on a service, mm. and they've just done amazing things with cutting down the cost of space travel yep. just, by, just by great people. Mm. That is the whole secret to everything. People don't think, they think that economic success and everything comes out of, out of putting money into it and stuff. It's garbage. It's people that create success. Mm. You have a country that's completely flattened like Japan was in 1945, and within decades, they're back to incredible prosperity and they're leading the world. And now they're fading again. So what caused it? It's character. Mm. If we can change character, we can change everything. And all the problems that we face of poverty, of mental illness, all come down to character, which I think basically is to do with epigenetics. Mm. There is a genetic component yeah. behind character, but the epigenetic change is far more important. Well, it's also perspective. I mean, I'll be quite open with you. You talked about mental health and that's something that I'm very passionate about myself, um, diagnosed with manic depression. Um, but I just, in terms of my character and how I see it, is the depression gives me an insight into myself that a lot of people don't get and lessons that I learn. And then the other side of things gives me a level of passion, energy, creativity and motivation that a lot of other people can't tap into. So... What are your thoughts in terms of that in, in like perspective changing when it comes to, to your mental grit and mental toughness? I wish I could achieve the same benefits for you without the suffering. Yeah. Because depression isn't nice. No. Um, I just think, we, I think people can achieve far more, even, even individually. Um, and I'm actually, when I wrote by history, this book here, um, mm. a few years back, I, I, I only very oh yes I'll show yep, it to, show the, camera. to the camera. Yeah. Um, I only I only touched on that in the last chapter. I, I'm a lot more confident now that people would actually take up these things. One of the things that if we effectively call what produce what I call an effective C promoter, it would have actually tremendous benefits in terms of increasing concentration and productivity. In fact, I intend to take this stuff as soon as it's available because I think it will have that effect. It also tend to make you more spiritual, more sort of idealistic. I know the kinds of effects I expect to have, which is why I can't wait to get my hands on it. And I think once we've produced something, it'll be it'll go like wildfire. I mean, people take things like Ritalin, students do yeah. all the time these days, just because it gives them an edge. But the negative, the down, the side effects are so terrible. Mm. What if you could get the benefits without the negativity? And this is just natural pheromones. This isn't some artificial stuff. This is something that's in your body already, mm. but you just change the concentrations. Yeah, it's something I'm actually fascinated with. If I could 
tap into that heightened level of creativity but in a safe and healthy way yes it would be uh, be amazing yeah um, yeah so. creativity is is people misunderstand it they think it's all about genius Actually, I was yeah the quotes let's get some quotes um this is from isaac newton my powers are ordinary only my application brings me success mm. and then albert einstein it's not that i'm so smart it's just that i stay with problems longer mm. i mean that is that is what the geniuses themselves thought. People do endless speculations about how many folds there were in his brain. Well, he was obviously bright, I mean, Einstein, but he, it, that doesn't explain who he was. He was incredibly focused and incredibly creative. He could see things in a different way in it because he was so interested. The same thing with, with Newton. And the funny thing about it is that all these people actually achieved their, mostly achieved their great success quite young um, with Newton when he was in his 20s. Most of his incredible breakthroughs, if you look at what he achieved and the breakthroughs he made with the laws of mechanics, they were extraordinary. They were just giant leaps of understanding that we look back upon them now and they seem so obvious, but yet in, that, in those days it was, it was something amazing. And this was just a man with extraordinary focus. Um, and that's what we could achieve. I mean, we could have the whole world could be bursting. And I'm talking about places like Afghanistan and, and Chad and, and the Congo and, and anywhere with the most amazing creative geniuses mm. and the ordinary people there to support them and work with them who were pretty brilliant themselves. You, you could have, theoretically, there's no reason why for the cost of a, a rounding error on, on, on foreign aid, you couldn't have an entire country become prosperous within a generation. Yeah. Any country in the world, by simply knowing how to change character, with, with if people wanted that, of course. Well, that's the hard thing: is, is do people want to change? Do people, you know, you could do a whole bunch of good by because I, I think that's where you get into peace, you get into talk comes from creative thinking outside of the box thinking. But then the uh, the battle that you have is, yeah, do people want to change? And well, may, maybe they don't. But let, let me just put, put an idea to you. Let's just say that, that we develop the right technology for changing character and some reasonably well-governed African country, say Rwanda. I, I admire Port Kagame a great deal, actually, for what he's achieved. Let's just say um, Rwanda decided to put this into practice. Now, you're not talking about a big expense. It's like an immunization program. It's nothing very big, okay? It's no, no great cost. And and then suddenly over the next few years, you start to find that the Rwanda starts to become really successful. Kids are learning school, the teachers are better, engineers are better, businesses start to flourish, it starts to develop very, very fast. And people are coming all over the world to find out what's going on in Rwanda. And, and then they're starting to become leaders in, in, their, in their region. And, and, and they're, they're developing new forms of technology, you know, power from the infinite African sun. They're becoming the world leader. Now, other countries may initially turn up their noses and say, but when they start to see that kind of success, everybody's going to want that. Who wants to be behind? Who wants to be the poor kid brother when you could be the, 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 the shining success? Now, that's, that's the potential for this thing. You could change people, change societies in a way. And people have to want it, but I think they would. I mean, if you knew, okay, people will spend ridiculous amounts of money to send their kids to a private school. Like to go to an elite school, private school, you know, talking $30,000 a year. Okay. And the effect on performance is actually fairly minor, surprisingly minor. Kids do better from those schools, largely because they come from those kinds of families that do better. 
the actual effect is, is surprisingly modest. But what if there was a simple treatment, that's something that you could you give to your kids which would make them happier, better behaved, they wouldn't go wild, they study hard in school, they'd be more successful. Wouldn't you want that? Wouldn't your kids want that? Yeah, possibly. And it would have a huge effect on, 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 their, on their future. And the, and, the, and the families that didn't do that would find themselves, you know, they'd, find, they'd be the poor white trash. Mm-hmm. The ones left behind. Yeah. That's right. And when they came to have children, they say, I'm not going to make the same mistakes my parents did. I'm going to give my children advantages. Mm-hmm. People want success for themselves and they want success for their children. They do. They do. And, um, you know, having that, that edge and that, exa- um, that path to success, I, I, I suppose. And, and, you know, everyone defines success in a different way. but. The other side of it too is that is that if this thing can be sold, we would overcome the birth deficit. Right. That 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 Western countries, Western countries in general, affluent countries in general, are not replacing themselves, oh. and it's particularly bad in places like Singapore and Japan, where they're barely having half the babies they need to to look after themselves. That's a big concern for those societies. Um, this will this will tend to reverse that. Because one of the things it does on rats and it would do for people, it makes people more interested in having children. And people always think in terms of economic constraints and stuff. But in fact, you have kids not for economic reasons because you like children. I've got 10 children. My siblings have got three siblings. They've got three between them. So I've got 10. Why? Because I adore children. I love children. I've got that kind of mind that really enjoys being around children. It's a great joy in my life. I have 10 Frankly, if I could, I have a lot more. <laughs> I have 12 or 15. I just like them to keep on coming forever. I yeah. just really, really, really love my kids. Well, that's an epigenetic difference. That's a change of character. If that kind of attitude were more prevalent, you'd have no more problems with baby bus. The problem you'd have is the overpopulation <laughs> would likely yeah. be a problem. Yeah, likely. But, I mean, for countries like Singapore and Japan, who are desperate over this issue, I don't think it's the first thing that overpopulation would worry them too much. If there's a technology, if there's a biological technology that can solve these problems, I think they'd want it. Mm. And then and then would also at the same time cope with the economic doldrums that Japan is in. For example, I think it's very likely that countries like that will be among the early adopters of this technology once it's been developed because they, they see the issue, they see the problem. Definitely. Very cool. Um, I think that's a really awesome spot to end it, but I've got uh, two two last questions. Um, one is if someone's heard something over this, they want to get a copy of your books or, or even um, get in contact with you about franchises, um, how would they, what's the best way? Uh, do you have social media that, that you want people to follow? or? Well, um, people can, if, if you go to um, www.gyms.net and go to um, meet Jim, you'll see all kinds of stuff in there. Um, anybody can email me if they wish. Jim, mm, that's how we got we organise this? I'm very easy to get, get by email. I don't give up my phone lightly, but no. my email is easyjim at gyms.net. Very simple. Um, actually, if you just write to Jim's group, they'll, they'll pass you through too. So I'm, I'm an easy person to get in touch with. And my websites are all on the, on the site, you know, bitbyhistory.org mm. is there, gyms.net. Yeah, and I actually just want to mention that um, and, and thank you for, for your approachable personality. It, it, it makes someone like myself um, feel important and, and um, yeah, just, yeah, thank you um, for that. Oh, it's been great. Of course, I, I don't mind the extra coverage, especially <laughs> for my ideas about science. I love business, but I, I, I love science, science the is, most. Yeah. That's the thing that anybody anybody writes to me about my thing, I always get a good answer. Mm, fantastic. And um, what's coming, last one, what's coming up for you in the next sort of six to 12 months that you're really excited about, maybe something in Jim's group or, 
anything else that um, I could maybe drop you an email in six months and ask you how it's going? Well, the, the thing that excites me the most, obviously, is, is the potential developments in, 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 in my research project. But mm. in terms of Jim's group, the thing that one thing that's really fascinating to me right now is we're developing some excellent software. It's called Jim's Jobs, which is helping our franchisees to run their businesses better. Mm. Um, and I think it can be better than anything on the market and it can have massive advantages in terms of helping people to give better service as well as providing information, you know, voiding complaints wherever possible, just lots of great things and just being very efficient in helping people to run a great business. Mm. I, to me, software is is a huge key to our success. The kind of things we do will be completely impossible. Our, our rating systems, for example, our survey systems, mm, it's all so driven by computer yeah. software. That's That's been incredibly successful. It's, it's at least half the level of real complaints mm. and it's been responsible, I think, for this massive surge in in leads with respect, it wouldn't be possible. Mm. So technology to me is is the greatest opportunity anywhere yep. in terms of business. And, and and we're developing other kinds of technology too. There's technology that allows our franchisors to look after the franchisees more cost effectively. We call it Jimbo. <laughs> and and actually, actually as a sales term, all voice op um, operated. And just, just designing programs that suit people's needs for business. And eventually, um, if it works really well, we may we may license it outside of Jim's group for a, for a price too. Yeah, fantastic. So that's really really fun stuff. Always is, Jim. Well, I've been Tim. You've been Jim, and we've been talking. Thank you so much. Good to you. Cheers. All right, there you have it. The episode with Jim Penman. I just want to thank Jim again for being amazing through the whole interview process. It was a real highlight for me to have one of Australia's great business stories come on the Bean Talking podcast. If you want to follow along with more of Jim's content, you can go to jims.net and under Meet Jim, there's a wealth of information that he's putting out on a number of channels through his website, YouTube and Instagram. So I'm sure you'll enjoy that. Now, what I'd love for you to do, just a quick favor for me, if you're listening along, can you take a screenshot of you listening to the episode and then tag Bean Talking in your story? I'll then feature it on my page and you'll get featured there too. And if you want, give us a like and subscribe so you can be updated to the latest episodes that come out. That would be amazing. And additionally, let's have a quick chat now about podcast production. If you're someone who is listening along to these shows and you really want to start your own podcast, but you don't necessarily know where to start, I'd love to guide you through that process. So give me a contact, give me a message on tim at beantalking.com.au. That's tim at beantalking.com.au. And I look forward to having a chat with you. Apart from that, we'll see you guys in the next episode.